How's it going today, guys? Welcome to episode 58 of Inbound Agency Journey. This is Andrew, and I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your day to catch this podcast wherever you are, whether you're in your car, you're working out, you're on a run somewhere, wherever it is. Hope you find this information insightful and it helps you build the agency that you love. Today, we are excited to welcome back to the podcast, Nick Sal. Last time we talked to Nick, he was working at HubSpot. He was the head of their channel success program, doing great things for the inbound agency community. Today, he's working for IMR Corp, and he's part of the CMB team there, and he's also their head of client success. So he has some awesome stories to share about all things inbound agencies. You're not going to want to miss it. So without further ado, here we go. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. All right, welcome back to Inbound Agency Journey. I'm your host, Gray McKenzie, and today it is my distinct pleasure to bring back a two-time guest to the podcast, uh, folks, he needs no introduction, but Nick Sal, formerly of HubSpot, now at IMR Corp, is back on the podcast. Nick, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Gray. Thanks for inviting me back again for a sep- second helping, kind of on the other side of the orange glass here. I'm really excited to to talk with you today and well, to talk with all the other agency owners who might be listening. Well, I I couldn't be happier to bring you back on. And before we get any farther, uh, I need to congratulate you publicly here on uh, having a having a kiddo. Grant them. Yes, yes. First, first uh, child. It's, we have a son. My wife and I is uh, just over uh, eight weeks old as of this this past Sunday. We couldn't be more excited. Super magical time for us and our family. And it's definitely a huge, huge motivator behind uh, making the switch that I did, and also motivating me to get up and go to work every day. I love it, Nick. Are you sleeping at all yet? I am. I am. Uh, my wife, uh, Victoria, has been a huge, huge champ through the entire uh, pregnancy and through the first couple months here with our child. We do obviously swap out, but she's she's you know up twice a night uh, with with the baby and stuff like that. I'm up early to to get in here to work. There's so much there's so much that we have to do here at IMR. So um, I'm I'm not getting as much sleep. Neither one of us are, but I think both of us are super motivated for the reasons why we're not getting as much sleep. Yep, it does make it easier when you have that why. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's one of the biggest uh, changes for me certainly in the last uh, few months since the transition is I've got a very powerful why. For sure. Well, clue us in, bring us up to speed. So, uh you came on the podcast before, told your story, um all that you did with the during your time at HubSpot and with the partner program specifically. Um but walk us through what the transition has looked like, what your role at IMR looks like and uh, and where you see things going from here. Sure. And for those who are curious, I, I wrote a blog post about this on the uh, IMR Corp blog called Five Reasons I Chose to Leave HubSpot, even though I loved working there. And I just, I've always been a, a, a small business guy and entrepreneur at heart. And that's a, a big reason why I joined HubSpot when it was just over 250 employees or so in, in April 2011. Saw it grow to over 1,000 employees on three continents. And 
learned, always have had a, a soft spot in my heart for the agency partners who are the, you know, the, the big entrepreneurial spirit and drive behind uh, the HubSpot customer base. I've worked almost exclusively with those types of agencies, heard a lot of their success stories, uh, fell in love with the hustle for some of the leading partners and what they do out there. Uh, the team at Do Inbound is certainly one of those, those stories for me. And I want to be a part of it. I didn't want to just talk about it. I just didn't, I didn't want to theorize about it. I want to get out here in the trenches. So I love HubSpot passionately uh, and the people who work there and the founders' visions. And to me, it was almost sort of a, a civil service to go out and say, well, knowing what I know from the inside, can I bring that to the outside and learn a bit of the struggle and the challenges that partners go through and some perspective, some empathy of what partners go through on the outside and hopefully be able to facilitate a knowledge transfer on both ends. So I'm in, I'm in touch with folks at HubSpot regularly, especially my, my team at HubSpot Academy was just in there last week. I'll be in there this week. Uh, so really just realized, hey, I can decouple myself and be out here in the market uh, as a person for hire and participate in this fantastic business model that we offer our agency partners and pass on a lot of great perspective to HubSpot as well. What's, what's there to lose so long as there's a good opportunity and there was here with, with IMR. So just went for it. And uh, IMR was also going through a period of transition. I feel like a lot of partners who've been with the program for a few years have seen some fantastic growth. They bring on staff. They make a bunch of changes. But sometimes uh, because of shifts in key people, uh, dealing with the growing pains and scaling like that, there needs to be a new injection of uh, blood or there, there needs to be a pivot in direction. Uh, same thing happened here for IMR. I've known these guys for years. They were some of the folks that I onboarded and consulted to when I was a consultant at HubSpot. So they were on my short list of local Boston agencies who had an entrepreneurial spirit, who, who knew me and I knew them well. Uh, if I was going to make a leap, I didn't want to leap all the way out into you know hanging out my own shingle, uh, although I'd love to do that someday. And, and Kevin and Joe here at IMR were just, were just trusting enough and were bought into my vision enough to to let me come and take a leadership role here of their, their team. That is awesome. So Nick, um, and that, that blog post that you mentioned, by the way, we'll include that in the show notes. I felt Thank like you. that was, um, just re- really well written and expressed well, kind of the, the Nick Sal perspective on the change. <laughs> um, yeah. but tell us for anybody who's not familiar with IMR right now about what the team looks like. Um, the niche that you guys are in, or, or at least one of the verticals that you serve that kind of sets you apart from a lot of the other agencies? And just what should we know about IMR? Sure. What you should know is IMR stands for <clears throat> excuse me, Innovative Marketing Resources and uh, was founded was actually founded prior to the, the current owners coming in. They were a, a print fulfillment shop probably for the last 15 years or so. Uh, and Kevin Jorgensen and Joe Pedrosi were childhood friends here in, in uh, Western Massachusetts who went out to go seek their fortunes out in the Western United States. Kevin was was a marketing executive during the dot-com boom out in Silicon Valley. He uh, saw companies go through the same growth story and go public like HubSpot. He was a mentor to me uh, as I went through that growth story uh, with HubSpot. Uh, Joe was uh, went into finance and uh, at one point among his pretty extensive resume was the CFO for the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, for a few years. And then both him and Kevin decided they, you know, they've kept in touch with the years and said, let's come back east and raise our families. So they came back east and they looked for a company they could, they could own and run together. And there was this, this company here. Uh, and they called it Innovative Fulfillment Services. So they still have actually 20 people out in Western Massachusetts who do thousands of pieces of uh, 
paper direct mail for colleges, financial institutions, and so on. I've seen the facility. It's, it's pretty impressive what they do. And then, they, then once they, they got, caught the HubSpot bug, probably around the same time that I started, they, I think maybe in 2010 they signed on as a customer, and the, the partner program didn't even exist back then. But uh, it soon did, and then I became a consultant. They, joined, they wanted to join up in the partner program officially as they realized we could be offering digital services. We could be tying these print campaigns back to the web. But they were already doing this informally, just not on HubSpot's software and platform because uh, Kevin has a very strong technical engineering background. He does a lot of high-end integrations and stuff for our clients over there. And they started this little spinoff called Innovative Marketing Resources. They fired their, I mean, not fired, they hired their first consultant. Uh, and I worked with that consultant, Max Trailer, who's still a very good friend of the company's on our board of advisors. He helps us on deals uh, constantly now. Uh, but he kind of helped spin up the agency for a while. And then he decided he wanted to take a, uh, you know, go to a, go to a sort of an opportunity out on his own. And that left a leadership gap. So there was, uh, I think there is, there were five people. And then when I came on, me and the co-founders made eight. So I lead a team of, of uh, five folks, three people who are in, on the front end doing account management along with a creative uh, director who does design and then a content manager and content writer. Uh, and, and Matt does content writing, but he also works with a network of writers to, to bring in to help us scale if, if need be. So it's a great team. It's everybody that I need, uh, all the skills and talents the, that I need. We just needed somebody up front again to help uh, build the relationships, build some of that, that, that front-end strategy with the clients that might have been uh, lacking in the absence of Max. So here to kind of do that turnaround job and take IMR into their next big chapter because they were very successful in the partner community, uh, helping with uh, products that we can talk about later. But is is that is that far enough there, Gray? Or that, let me know if you want me to go? You know, no, that was that was awesome. You were on a roll. I didn't want to interrupt you with anything, although uh, prompts so many questions. And uh, for you listening, you hear the name IMR. You may be one of the agencies who thinks IMR and instantly thinks of another three letters, CMB. Yeah. Um, so Nick, uh, there's a million different directions we can go right now, but tell us a little about the CMB, um, which got started while Max was there, the Content Marketers Blueprint. And um, and what that looks like moving forward here is Max has now uh, moved to another opportunity, and you're leading up the team. Yeah, well, the 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 content marketers blueprint. I love this idea. So back in the day when I was consulting, there might have been a dozen consultants at HubSpot when I joined in 2011 who took took customer calls on the phone and tried to walk people through what to do with this all in one inbound marketing package once they bought it. And at that time, I was remember going around the office saying, I can't really show a customer what success looks like. Like, what are we building here? When I say write a blog post or build a landing page or create a content offer, where are, what is that a part of? Um, you know, for some people, we're just laying bricks. For other people, we're building a cathedral. What does the cathedral look like that I'm trying to sell this customer on, on taking that first step for me? Because if they don't really know what the ultimate strategy looks like, they're not going to be that motivated after the initial excitement of purchasing the product and getting started wears off, which it inevitably will. So what I love that Kevin and Joe did, and then later Max, their first hire, did, is they basically took a run at anything I would suggest. I mean, they, they took on so many HubSpot customers. They, they said, you know, send us the people who are in distress. Send us anybody. We'll do what we can to make it work. And things were very informal back then. So Kevin, Joe, and Max were just problem solvers. Well, they realized after spinning their wheels and making some mistakes and, you know, 
kind of wasting time with a lot of these customers and giving them education that we need a we need a system. We need a system that if people are willing to speak to us about their personas, about how people buy from them in an ideal way, we need to map that, build a blueprint for that. So they started with spreadsheets, questionnaires that would then uh, feed into spreadsheets about blog title ideas, about this is what your first offer should be. They started standardizing what the first awareness stage offer should look like. They started to create template outlines so they could do this for multiple clients and do it faster. And as they started talking to me about this, because I told them, I said, we don't have anything that's like, this is the strategy map, customer. Based on what you told us from the sales process, these are going to be your blog post articles. This is what your awareness stage offer should be, the consideration stage offer, the decision stage offer. We didn't have this. And I told them that. I said, this will be big, gentlemen, if you can build this and it can work and you can teach it to other people. And they got very excited and they started doing just that. Uh, they did eventually come up with sort of a, like a franchise program. I think that the issue is, is that when you're selling the ability to create a blueprint or a strategy for someone, that, that was sort of a one-off sale. It was like if, uh, if, we, if we got a partner to bring us a client and we would help that, that agency partner do a blueprint, quote-unquote, for them, that might be 1000 to $2,500 depending on what the deal that we had was. And meanwhile, there'll be all sorts of phone calls and conversations with that agency owner, sometimes about money, of course, uh, in the meantime, to get that done. So it's not a very scalable or sustainable model to be taking phone calls from agency owners who are coming to you because they're struggling in certain areas and HubSpot won't take their phone calls or they've already brought those same issues to HubSpot and haven't gotten the resolution they need. So they turn to the next leader in the, uh, in the channel that they can find and IMR was waving that flag quite, quite proudly. So there was actually at one point maybe a couple hundred different agencies who were interfacing with IMR and their their little growing team here. So it actually ended up being a bit of a distraction because IMR does not have that monthly recurring revenue. They didn't have services retainers with these, with these partners. And they were building a channel from scratch while also running an agency as well. This is pretty impressive for a young guy like Max Trailer, who's just, you know, an, a work and entrepreneurial dynamo, but there's only so much he could do with, with all these different moving parts. So eventually they kind of phased that down. That was, that was early uh, in 2015 to say, you know what? to take anyone and everybody and try to sell them this one-off retail product for a one-time payment of like, you know, somewhere between $1,000 to $2,500, not very scalable. So where I've come in is to say this is a great system. Uh, the system will continue to evolve, but I'd rather evolve it and work on it with maybe a dozen great agencies who can help us innovate on it, help us innovate on the process and so on. There's different things that it needs to add today that I think are so important for inbound today, like video. Uh, how, how instead of just doing blog posts and white papers, how can we get video in there? How can we get more graphical things built into this blueprint? And also take people all the way to the bottom of the, to the, bottom of the funnel through the sales process. With the increased uh, emphasis and tools around the sales process, this content marketer's blueprint shouldn't just end with, and then your leads will go to do a free assessment with you and you'll walk off together into the sunset. It should end with, based on what they have done through your your funnel, your blueprinted uh, funnel of blog posts, white papers, and nurturing emails. This is what, how you take their lead intelligence and come up with a proposal, come up with a quote, take them all the way through to that final most important piece of content, especially for services businesses, which is the proposal, the document, the agreement to transact and do business with you. And there's a lot of great tools out there, PandaDoc, uh, PandaDoc's uh, uh, sidekick for business and those types of tools that we can accommodate and bring into uh, the CMB uh, for 2016. And that's our intention at this point. I love it. There's so much there. And um, obviously, I mean, also to react to the pain that came out of, you've got first 
a pain recognition and then creating a CMB and then a pain recognition of what it was doing to IMR and making the decision to make changes. And now with what the future of this looks like, I think that um, there are bright things ahead and I'm excited to hear kind of scaling down to a more or less a focus group or a select group of agencies who you can work with to refine this and improve it. But um, yeah. as a former CMB customer, um, it's just exciting to see it continue well, to move forward. And if there was any question, Gray, you and your team would certainly be on that short list. To me, what you folks have done with Do Inbound, um, I think is exactly scratching the same type of itch and in the same direction of, of what we were trying to do to help with the content marketer's blueprint. So to me, I think that the future also, uh, I, I've neglected to say this, I think is building that CMB on top of a unified project management platform. If we have a plan with all these different moving parts, these should be the articles, this should be the content. Uh, we, again, should go the extra mile to say, and you hit this button and it appears in your platform, which I think Do Inbound would be the ideal platform for it. So you right, know well, and I know we have a conversation about that coming up. For sure. For sure. Yeah, there's there's a, a lot of room there. And I think that that ultimately is what, what people need is if you all you have is a tool and you don't have the plan, then you're mm-hmm. stuck kind of spinning your wheels of, well, what should I do? Or if you have the plan but don't have a teal, tool, it's hard to execute and have any kind of accountability and consistency exactly. in what you're doing. Um, well, so Nick, I want to shift gears here a little bit away from uh, just CMB and um, and kind of the general is the general kind of background of the agency into some specifics. So I want to talk about um, a success and something that you mentioned to me before we started recording here was a client interaction that you had recently. Yes. And it stood out to me as something that I think other agencies, uh, other owners and agency team members would be encouraged by and hopefully take away a lesson from it. So can you share with us kind of what transpired here recently with a client account who uh, you considered letting go? Yes, for sure. So uh, one thing I've noticed is just how true it is uh, that sometimes we can get happy ears on the sales calls when we're dealing with prospects. Uh, People will call us and we'll just say, this is fantastic. This is right up our alley. What you've just described to us sounds exactly like what we do. We know exactly what to do. Uh, they've, they've agreed that they will, they want it done that way and that they would be a great resource with us. And this was just one of those types of situations when we took them on last month. Uh, and then we, we kind of did our first go around on some of, some of the work and came back to them. And, uh, and this was when we had kind of, there was two business partners we were speaking to. Uh, we spoke to one when we sort of got started and the other one was in the background saying, yes, yes, whatever, whatever my partner says, that's, that's kind of the direction we want to go in. Uh, and then the feedback started coming back that we were missing the target on certain things. No, 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 that's, that's not what the partner who wasn't on the phone call implied through the notes that he left through us or whatever it might be. So there was kind of some disconnects in communications. And, and, and you probably know this, Gray, and other people listen. It's like that can be – that's an early yellow to, to red flag. Uh, so we said to ourselves, especially considering all the other you – know, any opportunity that we're pursuing today comes at a cost with an opportunity we can't pursue tomorrow because of our focus on that opportunity. So we said, you know, maybe this wasn't exactly the best opportunity here. Let's kind of reset. And, and Joe, my business partner, got on the line with them and kind of gave them that, that out that, you know, maybe maybe be better off if we kind of you know, switched gears here or that maybe – you know, you try working with somebody else. And then they came back and said, no, 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 no. We really appreciate your ability, your willingness to kind of, uh, I don't want to use this. I don't think they use this word. They, they didn't say put up with us, but they appreciated our flexibility and our, our willingness to kind of pivot, um, which as we were discussing, Greg, made me realize that sometimes one of the biggest values we can provide to a client, especially in a B2B 
situation I find is that certain departments don't talk to each other a lot or they don't interface very well or they've, they've had a mixture of ideas that they're basically looking for someone to kind of help them decide on. So it was them sort of owning up to a, a symptom of, of how they were working together, which was we need somebody to, to pivot off of. We need someone to have these discussions, to, to stick with us and hash these things out. That's, the, that's value to us. That's worth it to us. We're willing to invest in that time. If you can help be sort of that arbiter, be patient with us, sort these things out. It may take a few extra rounds of revisions, might take a few extra phone calls, but uh, they gave us a clear signal that that was valuable to them. And we would never have known that if we didn't sort of push back and, and test the entire relationship itself. So I found that diving headfirst into these more uh, difficult conversations that some people might avoid has been our strength. Is the more that we can bring these situations up, uh, we can we can oftentimes re-engage even stronger than if we had just kind of uh, kept that under the radar and, and gritted our teeth and did our best. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's something that um, I'm pretty non-confrontational by nature, but but have definitely learned through experiences at, at Guava Box and now at Do Inbound that a proactive, not combative, but um, willingness to, to jump in and pursue the full truth earlier rather than later is going to save you a lot of headaches in the long run. And so uh, your just general warning against happy years, I think, yeah. is super important. And it's hard to do, especially at a young agency or when you're in aggressive mm-hmm. growth mode. But mm-hmm. you, you really need to do it. Because you might know in the back of your head there might be bad news there, so I, I might not want to confront it. But if that's your if that's what you're hearing instinctually, that's why you need to ask. Yep, exactly. Well, Nick, so I know that you've got a lot on your plate here in 2016 as you guys um, are focused on growing and taking IMR to the next level. What is uh, maybe one or two of the areas that you're most focused on improving in the short term? All right. The most, imp- and we were just talking about this this morning, the most important thing we can do is delight the clients that have trusted us to work with us on our retainer. Uh, there's so many other awesome things that I've wanted to do. And on the business development front, obviously my strongest asset to bring to the table is my relationships. So was that was a big focus of wanting to sell and uh, re- hoping that the account team could continue to to take care of these accounts while I I focused on taking a lot of business development meetings, but one of the biggest things I've realized is that you know what I've got to lead first in these accounts. If our if our clients are not absolutely totally pleased with what we're doing, then I can't confidently talk about doing that for somebody else in the future. So the most important thing for me was was to to bite this big bullet and say I've got to be on almost every client call for now just to make sure I understand exactly how we do things, to make sure things are really smooth and ironed out, and also for these clients to know about the leader who's going to be impacting the direction of the team that they're working with. It's the only right thing to do. So I did a big listening tour with all of the clients and let them know that I could be this sort of private sounding board about any anything that they had about IMR they liked or that they didn't like they could bring up to me. So that was huge for them to know that they sort of had another person at I don't know, dare I say, sort of an executive level that they could talk to, our, our champions and our sponsors inside these organizations. So that was very helpful to bring that around. But the second thing that I did was, and this worked very well at HubSpot Academy, is to have strategic meetings to tackle particular key aspects of what we do here. So now we have a regular meeting around lead generation and our own marketing. That's Monday because our account comes first. We have to be our own best case study. We begin every day with with how we're going to lead and go first into the marketing realm to experiment and test. 
And then the, the second meeting that we have is to review all of the accounts. What are, we, what are we building? What are we creating? What are we shipping to them this week? We're a labor-based organization, so we have to labor every week and to make sure that what we put out is fantastic, it's remarkable, uh, and that it's out there on time and that we're communicating consistently and regularly with the client, not just on where we are with that status, but also afterwards to say, is that what you thought it was going to be? Is that, is that going to perform at the level that you hoped it would be? Was there anything about that process we could tweak or, or do better on, asking those frank, fearless questions? So creating regular, consistent meetings to work on that. But then other meetings about uh, skills development for our consultants. Uh, a meeting to, to talk about content production and deliverables, to, to troubleshoot any weekly issue that would come up on these, uh, these particular areas. Initially, the staff was like, we already have you know, enough, enough going on as it is. But when I <clears throat> discussed any particular situation with our staff, it, it, evolved, it involved these particular things. Uh, every conversation involved three or four different facets of, oh, yeah, and that's why for the account management we should do this, this, and that. I said, if we have these meetings, that allows me to go, all right, well, what we're talking about today is content production and how to innovate on that. If there's something around how we do the call with the client, let's move that to the agenda for our weekly consulting process, client services process workshop. Uh, so that I can acknowledge that's an issue, but then we can focus our conversation and get this thing done during this hour, and then we'll come back and swing around to that in a couple of days. So there were these. This for me, who's just kind of a little bit ADD, running fast, juggling different things. This made sure that there was a catch point, at least one hour every week, that if there was a critical aspect of of our business that needed to be addressed, they get collected around these meetings. We come to the meeting, we we nail it on that agenda, and we move on. So that, that that's a couple of things for me there. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing it and being open to that. So you mentioned meetings, and I think that if I'm putting myself in the shoes of folks listening, um, and this is also very applicable to me, but I heard the word meetings a lot. And so for the Seth Godin fans who are saying, Nick, how many hours are you guys in meetings every week? What is the answer to that? How How many meetings do you have? What does it look like for an internal team member at IMR? Um, what time are, like, just ballpark, how much time are you guys meeting and working on stuff versus uh, kind of individually cranking things out? Well, that's one thing I'll also own up to, Gray, is I don't want to say that that was like the genius move. And as soon as we did that, all of our issues got channeled to these right meetings, which all happened at the right time and all, and all those other things. I'd say that there was probably, there are at any given week, maybe seven different meetings that I had lined up. It did not always involve the whole team. Probably about seven different meetings for each one kind of focusing on a key aspect of the company. I'm not talking about superfluous things. I'm talking about, like I said, lead gen. How's the pipeline doing? What are we doing this week? Uh, outside sales. What opportunities are we pursuing this week? Uh, who needs to follow up with them? Content production, client retention and renewals. Uh, also, how's the team doing? We take just a half hour every week to meet and talk about what did the team do this week that delighted them? What, what, how are the clients delighted uh, how is the team delighted? How did the team help each other out? That's half an hour on a, on a Friday during lunch and that type of thing. So, uh, but one thing I did realize, Gray, was, hey, I'm, move, I'm coming into a machine that's, like, that's moving. And at least at HubSpot Academy, we had, the, I'd say, kind of the privilege of being people who could take a look, step back and say, what are people doing? Let's teach people about that. But I'm now here in a production house that everything that we do, if we have a meeting in the middle of the day, that might be stopping somebody who was halfway through a blog post or halfway through client follow-up to jump on this meeting. So I've definitely had to, to do a lot of learning and certainly have to shift things around for when I chose to schedule those meetings, uh, days that we would focus on them versus having to punt or something like that. And also making sure the meetings were prepared. I mean, I went out for paternity leave 
uh, last month in the middle. This is my hundredth and hundred and fifth day or something like that here at IMR. And I was, I instituted these meetings in the first month, and then I vanished for a month, expecting everybody to be able to keep those meetings going and those plates spinning while I was gone. So while I'd say I'm still very committed to making sure there's at least an hour every week. We think about the most key areas that we want to work on the business because the rest of the time will be in the business. I don't think that I and the rest of the team have figured out the right time to have those meetings. Is it, the, is it at the beginning of every day, at the end of every day? Do we stack them up on Fridays or Mondays? So uh, that, that was certainly something people were concerned about was the number, of, the number of meetings. And I certainly would not be in favor of having a bunch of meetings if we weren't using them to help um, – accelerate and to unclog bottlenecks from all the other times that they're not in meetings. I think if there's seven hours at the most, the team is coming together to work on the business and the rest is allocated to executing. That's still pretty decent. I'd say out of somebody's work day, yeah. considering that nobody's running at, you know, nobody here can run at hundred percent billable time anyway. So I might as well channel and corral that time when we're switching over or switching between projects. Let's, let's put that into a channeled event so they can coordinate with the rest of the team. Right. Well, that helps to quantify a little bit like what you're looking at and how many, like how much time is going in there. And that's a, and that's a balance that everyone has to work out. It's really hard to figure out. Uh, be, and I think that one of the biggest challenges here is just that you're not working in a static environment where every, mm-hmm. everybody on your team is not a clone of each other. So the best yep. thing, like what works best for Nick doesn't necessarily work best for gray. And no that, question. that, uh, you're just trying to find that sweet spot of how do you enable everybody to uh, to thrive and have the right time. You know, do you like your meetings in the morning or the afternoon? I'm a morning guy, but other people are afternoon. So, you know, totally right. Those just, two, just working two, through that. Those two things you brought up have been have certainly come home to me in these last few months. Is one is everybody's different, and everybody here is wired a little bit different. And for some people, that might be a challenge. Some people here in the team is like, oh, you know, this person doesn't communicate or work the same way I do. That's because they're wired differently and that gives them certain strengths and certain opportunities to improve just like you. Uh, but then the second part is, is being very aggressive about how we track and organize and plan our time. Uh, and I'm sure every agency owner who just heard that would nod their head uh, or agency manager. Uh, we've gotten a lot more focused and enthusiastic about time tracking. Uh, we started with bringing over this tool called Habitus that uh, Mark Killens and the team at Academy kind of pioneered where people just block out the high-level buckets of the categories. If you imagine somebody's job description as a bunch of bullet points, uh, well, as you execute on that job description every week and every month, uh, how much time are you actually contributing to those bullet points? Are certain bullet points buckets getting higher or lower throughout the week uh, to make sure people aren't burning out because it's pretty easy to burn out, I think, in a job like this uh, when there's just unlimited demand to, to execute. So I completely agree with those two points. People wired differently, got to figure out a way to collaborate and organize that works for them, but still fair to everybody else. And then two, finding ways to get more aggressive about time tracking without becoming absolutely like tyrannical about it internally or externally. Right. Still haven't gotten there on either. Absolutely. It's a, it's a process and it's a journey. Well, so you talking about how you guys work together internally brings up another point that we got into a little bit before hitting record, which is the culture of kind of remote versus in-person moves towards in-person that you guys have made. Talk to us a little bit about the decision to, to ask everyone to work in the office on a consistent basis and what that looks like for you guys now. Yep. So IMR Corp, its headquarters are based in Waltham, Massachusetts, which is sort of like a, a suburb, a, like a corporate suburb of Boston, I think of it in some ways. 
a uh, lot of companies based out of here, but a lot of our staff is from you know from the outskirts of Boston, uh, and then me from Braintree. It's an over you know an hour commute through traffic for me to get here, and for some folks, it's the same deal uh, coming in from parts of Boston. So there was a feeling of wanting to work remotely, and I totally get that. But uh, obviously, trust and collaboration is super important in these crucial days too between each us on the team and we're we're pivoting and adjusting on a daily basis as we learn new things as client issues come up but we we have to ask questions from each other especially if you don't have a very uh well-defined well-adopted real-time communications platform i mean if if we have everything in do inbound or teamwork pm or in the hubspot crm or everything's documented in slack or you've got a very strict email regime and everybody's cell phones are up and we can pop into Skype meetings all the time. I know it's what everybody envisions going to automatically happen if we were remote. It doesn't always happen that way. So, and I also took a lesson from HubSpot that, yes, there was flexibility on people working remotely. For me, that would translate as, you know, I could take one or two days remotely as needed, and I certainly had to play a little bit of catch-up on things that I, I missed in passing because I wasn't right there uh, in the hallway and stuff like that. Uh, but, but HubSpot would never hire as long as I was there, people who were working dedicated remote 100%. Lots of people asked and said, can I work from Florida? Will you hire me from Florida? No, you'd have to relocate to Boston. That's just the way it is. You could work remotely a little bit, but that's certainly, certainly we're saying that you should have a distributed workforce in terms of where their headquarters were. Everybody who works at HubSpot, I'd say 95% of them are located in the metro area of the office uh, that they were hired to work at, and they're expected to be in there the majority of the time, not remote the majority of the time. Well, probably with the exception of some of the sales reps because they're just so hyper-tracked in terms of quota and activity, uh, and that would be the more senior sales reps who have regularly, consistently produced. So my agreement to this team has been, let's pull together, guys. Let's show that I'm in the same boat as you. I'm commuting just as many hours as you. I'm one of the first people here in the office and that type of thing. Uh, let's all pull together and do that. I've worked very hard. We were just in here on Saturday to to paint another wall in the office, to redo some of the cubicle layout. So I'm interested in making this place very cool, very fun. No matter where I am, I want to make that a fun, great place to work and hang out. doesn't matter if it's in Waltham or in downtown Cambridge. People can embrace that. We get a really good rhythm going, and uh, we're finishing each other's sentences and anticipating each other's moves. Uh, remote's coming back, and it could be coming back in a couple of months, no problem. I'd even be interested in maybe getting us a membership to one of these co-working spaces like WeWork in the, in the seaport or something. A few hundred bucks a month, people can come in, work in a really cool, hip place, and communicate with all of us. But we're just not there yet, and I think if we can't make that collaboration happen here, uh, I don't see how we could all do that from Starbucks. Right. Well, I think the takeaway here is understand your own situation. Just do a self-assessment, the same thing that you do onboarding any client, but just looking at uh, are, we at a play, are we at a place as an agency, as a team, as a culture where we can go remote or do we need to be in person? Because I think there's, I think there's no doubt that going uh, in person lends itself a lot more easily to, uh, to making up for some of the communication deficiencies that we might have otherwise. And there's just some... Uh, some natural team building immunity that needs to get built before you've got the ability to go successfully remote. It's, it's tough to do it um, right. if you don't know each other well. Right. And regardless of where we were in the past, where it might have been up to more of the individuals to manage the accounts that were assigned to them, they had to kind of take care of and be responsible for that. Like the model we're at right now is everybody touches every account in some way. We're having people specialize in key areas where they're strong and then minimizing those areas where they have opportunities to, to continue to grow and improve until they're ready for that. 
Uh, so we're in a much more team environment. That's why that would work. If we had individual folks who are just completely accountable 100% for doing a lot of the a lot of that work that they touch, it would make a lot of sense for for remote if we had systems for that. But we're much more team working together through the creative process, whiteboarding it out, and that that's why we need to be here. Right. Makes sense. Well, Nick, um, I appreciate your time a ton. And before we wrap up here, I want to ask you the fun personal question, which mm-hmm. I know has changed since the last time you were on the podcast. But um, I'd love to know – I'm always curious to know like how people get started. I mean the productive uh, people in the inbound space, the agency owners um, and team members who come on this podcast – um, what does it look like to start your day strong? What do those first one, two hours of your day look like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm loving my mornings these days. I've never in my life been so motivated to jump out of bed in the morning. And I think it's because a big part of this is like, I, I own this future. I chose this future for myself that I'm helping build here. So first thing I wake up is go over and look over at my, my son who's sitting there in his little bassinet and that makes me smile. And I'm, I you know kiss my wife who's still in bed because she's she's been up, uh, you know make breakfast and prepare and then I'm out the door by seven a.m. a little bit before otherwise the traffic really starts picking up, so I'm listening to music while the car warms up heading to the highway trying to wake myself up psych myself up for the day. Uh, I should say typically it would be smart if I did this every night and I try to is to look at the calendar from the day before because uh, that way it's already programmed in my head. I've already been dreaming about it, thinking about it. So I'm going through those thoughts, hit the highway, and that's when I switch to a book on tape. Uh, I have a book I either downloaded from the library, I bring on Audible, and I've been crushing books on the highway here. Uh, I listened to The Ultimate Sales Machine, which was a book that was recommended to me by Remington Begg from Impulse Creative, who I know has been on the show. I listened to that twice already. I'm listening to Entree Leadership um, by, oh my gosh, Dave Ramsey. Yep. Uh, yep. Listen to, listen to that again. So basically I get, and that's what I say to myself, it doesn't matter what the traffic is, I get 40 minutes or so on the highway to, to just crush and hang out with a great leader in some aspect of the biz. Take that in. I'm in here by a little bit after eight typically. Uh, and then we we have typically maybe one of these morning meetings or I am or I am catching up on some urgent emails that might have come in from the evening or into the morning uh, and try to get some music going. And I think I've, I've had a DJ business on the side for years, so I put a lot more music into the office. It releases tension, activates, you know, gets you kind of psyched up. And sometimes, Gray, I'll play a little Xbox Connect, play a little Xbox Connect Adventures or something like that, one of these games which I never found time to do when I was at home. But now since I basically helped run this office, I brought in all my goodies and, and gadgets and doodads. Uh, so I, I put a little Xbox Connect on there, man, seriously, and just you know, you know do some jumping around on there. And then uh, that gets me fired up for the day. And then I'm into, I'm into phone calls. I'm either doing one-on-ones or you know, coordination meetings with people here, or I'm on the phone talking to a client or a soon-to-be client three or four times a day. That's my, that's my activity pace throughout the day. There you go. Do it, do it again next day. Nick Sal breaking it down. Um, Nick, you, uh, you're a treasure in the community, man. Thank you for all that you do, for being willing to come back on, to share your story, the update. Um, I'm just excited to see where things continue to, to go moving forward. I'm sure that we'll be working together closely through that future. Folks who want to follow you, have any follow-up questions for you from this interview, um, Obviously, they can find you all over the place, but what is your preferred method for getting tracked down? 
Well, you had mentioned that blog post on IMR's blog, and we do have a great, we have a, uh, we have a focus. Part of one of the niches we focus on is also in higher ed marketing, EDU marketing. So we have a blog on that. They can always subscribe to. We'd love for you to do that. We put a lot of effort into those blogs. But I have my own website, nicksalinbound.com, one word. And you can subscribe to my blog. And my commitment, Gray, has been to put out one recap post and tell the world in real time like what I'm doing out here. Uh, my entire mission here is to figure things out with the perspective that I've had from my time out there in HubSpot and with the connections of great agency leaders like yourselves that I know and try to come up with with a model that we can we can all team up and, and do better together. I think you guys believe that. That's why you have a platform you offer to other people. We believe that. That's why we came up with the CMB, offered it to other people. Like, let's now that I have the freedom, stitch that thing together. Let's all keep in touch and collaborate and, and try to build something really special that we can bring back to HubSpot and the inbound community uh, and spread it out to other people. That's, that's my hope. So keep in touch with me on my blog or the Innovative Marketing Resources blog. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us today, Nick. Hey, anytime, Greg. You know that. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.